Chapter Twenty Two of Frigid Fracas by Mac Reynolds. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dale Grothman. In spite of Nadine Har's protest, Joseph Mauser insisted that they abide by the Sov government's expulsion order on the following day. A special plane took them to London, and they caught the regular shuttle to Greater Washington. At least Joe, Nadine, and Max did. General Armstrong remained on in London. The flight itself was largely uneventful, Joe having retreated into his thoughts. He had a great deal to think about, not only in regard to the immediate collapse of his mission, but both of the past and future as well. Max, looking out the plane's window as they took off, bore an air of nostalgia. Look there, he pointed. You can see the big statue of the Magar warriors. They're in front of the Setmuvasetti Museum-like. He sighed. I had a date with a Croat girl, to meet her there tomorrow night. I was making good time with Carla. She thought it was romantic, me being from the West and all. Max, my friend, Joe growled, save us the lurid details of your romances. But his voice hadn't really borne irritation. Max went on. You know, you kind of get used to these people. They aren't much different-like than us. Take fracases, for instance. They don't have them like we do, but they've got their tele-teams out there in Siberia, and the lads had to go chasing the rebels and all. And they got their duels they cover on telly. But I was thinking, why don't they get modern and have real fracases like us? And then we could have, like, international meets and they'd send a division and we'd send one and have it out san that'd be something to watch joe winced nadine said max it took the human race ten thousand years to put even a temporary halt to the international war and now you want to bring it back for the sake of a sadistic telly show ah but gee joe mauser said Max, go on back to the bar and have yourself a drink. I want to talk to Nadine. When the little man was gone, Joe said, in a conversational tone, We can get married tomorrow, right after we've reported to Phil Holland and the others. Her eyes widened. Well, really, don't you think you might ask me about it? He shook his head. No, we've covered all the preliminaries. The trouble with me has been that I've continued to look up at you. I suppose the caste system is too deeply ingrained in me. But now, you're my woman, period. I suppose you've actually been wondering why I've been such a slow clod. Do you think you're looking down at me now? She countered indignantly. No, just evenly. We'll get married as soon as possible. Her voice became strangely demure. Yes, Joe, she said. They drove immediately from the airport to the office of Phil Holland, stopping only long enough for Joe to make a phone call. They retraced the route over which Nadine had taken him that day that seemed so long ago, but actually wasn't, through the long corridors and eventually to the small office with the receptionist. Miss McHale said brightly, Dr. Hare, Major Mauser, Mr. Holland is expecting you. Go right in. Just before pressing through the door, Nadine put her hand on Joe's arm. 
and looked into his face ruefully. Darling, you've had so much hard luck in your time. I'm sorry this first assignment for the organization had to be a failure. Joe wet his lips carefully. Why do you think it was? he said, opening the door. Nadine could only stare as he ushered her into Phil Holland's presence. That crisp, efficient operator made much the same motions he had the first time Joe had met him here, holding a chair for Nadine, shaking hands briskly with Joe, and motioning to another chair for him. While they were getting settled, Frank Hodgson sauntered in, seemingly as lackadaisically and disinterested as ever. After a minimum of exchange pleasantries, he subsided into the couch and fished for a pipe and tobacco. Holland took in Joe's arm, still immobilized in the sling, and the other signs of his wounds. He said crisply, I thought that we had removed you permanently from the field of combat, Joe. Joe said sourly, Some of the Soves thought otherwise. Holland said, an element of irritation in his voice, It's hard to understand how you could have revealed yourself so quickly. Joe pursed his lips and looked at Nadine. He said, I think I figured that out. It's practically impossible for Nadine to dissimulate, and I've never seen her and her brother together, but what they weren't arguing. Nadine was frowning at him. What has Balt to do with it? Joe said, I have a sneaking suspicion that in the heat of one of your arguments with your brother, the Baron, you revealed your and my mission and its real purpose. Nadine's right hand went to her mouth. Joe finished with, And the Baron, after all, is a member of the Nathan Hale Society. I have no doubts that the organization has some connections with their equal number in the Sov world. Holland grunted. Very possible. However, it's done now. The thing is, what is your opinion, Joe, and yours, Nadine, on the advisability of sending other operatives on the same mission? Joe shook his head. Unnecessary. Frank Hodgson paused in lighting his pipe to peer through the smoke. Joe said, In fact, it was unnecessary to send Nadine and me. Holland's voice was testy. I assure you, Joe, the particular assignment was quite important. We cannot afford to move here in the West until we know what the Soul World will do. Your task was a delicate one, obviously. You simply couldn't go to their government and ask. There are strong elements in not only the upper caste, but even in the middle and lower ones here in this country, who would spring to the defense of the present Westworld society if they thought an attempt was being made to alter its structure. If the Sov government reported that it had been approached by elements of a revolutionary group, the fat would be in the fire. Joe nodded. I realize all that. You were expected to worm your way into their circles, to feel them out, to contact their own underground, if one exists, to ferret out definite information on how they would react if we began definite changes in the status quo here. Joe continued to nod. Holland was increasingly irritated. Then why, good heavens, do you say your mission was unnecessary? Because they had already sent a mission over here to contact us. Joe told him evenly. Had he suddenly got up from his chair, walked up the wall, across the ceiling, 
then down the other wall, they could not have stared at him the more. The telemic on Phil Holland's desk squeaked something, and he took time enough to snap. No, I told you, Miss Mikhail, I'm not to be disturbed by anyone. But Joe said, If that's Colonel Lajos Arpad, I suggest you have him in. I took the liberty of phoning him and asking him to meet us here. Phil Hodson was the first to recover. Arpad, that spy? I'm just about to gather enough dope on him to have him declared persona non grata and ship him back to Budapest. As I was shipped back to Greater Washington, Joe said dryly. Colonel Arpad and I seem to duplicate each other's activities in almost everything. Phil Holland said crisply into the communicator, Ask the colonel to come in, Miss Mikhail. Ever the correct so-world officer, Colonel Arpad came to attention immediately upon entering the room, clicked heels, bowed from the waist. Except for Joe Mauser, none of them had met him, but he evidently knew all, greeting them by name. The men came to their feet. Joe said, Meet Colonel Lajos Arpad, high in the ranks of the so-world party, and at present on a secret mission from the so-world underground revolutionary organization. Joe ended wryly, his mission being to determine what action the West World might make if the secret group which has determined to make basic changes in the Sovworld socio-economic system was to take action. It was the Hungarian who stared now, his eyes bored into Joe's face. I do not, of course, admit that, Major Mauser. But where in the world did you receive that strange opinion? Joe sat down again. The blood he had lost still bothered him, and he tired easily. He said, From Colonel Koseth in Budapest, another high-ranking member of your group. Joe's eyes went back to Holland and Hodgson. Quick-minded these two might be, but they were being asked to assimilate some shocking information. Joe brought it all out. I don't know why it didn't occur to any of us that the problems of the West World and those of the Sovworld at long last have become similar, almost identical. Both, following different paths, have achieved the affluent society, so-called, but in doing it both managed to inflict upon themselves a caste system that perpetuated itself, eventually to the detriment of progress. In the past, revolutions used to be accomplished by the masses, pushed beyond the point of endurance. A starving lower class, trying to change the rules of society so as to realize a better life. But now, in neither West nor in the Sov world, are there any starving. The majority of lowers and proletarians are well-clothed, fed, and housed, and bemused by fracases and track pills, or their equivalent over there. Joe shrugged, the weariness growing. Possibly Nadine had been right, he shouldn't have traveled so soon. The best elements in both countries have finally realized that changes must be made. These elements, the more capable, the more competent, the more intelligent, already are running each country, though they are not necessarily uppers or party members. Phil Holland here, supposedly a middle secretary to the foreign minister, actually has performed that worthy's work for several administrations. Frank Hodgson, is the working head of the Bureau of Investigation, though only a middle. 
I assume a similar situation prevails in Budapest. Arpad still stood. It does. Joe came to his feet, looking at Nadine. He said, Gentlemen, I evidently have not recovered from my recent duel as much as I thought. I had better retire. Meanwhile, I suggest you exchange some notes. Nadine hurried to his side, worried. Holland, Hodgson, and Arped were staring at each other, somewhat like small boys or strange dogs. Hodgson grumbled, his voice for once forgetting to express laziness. Our records show you to be a Sov espionage agent. The Hungarian nodded, equally suspicious. That is my official position, but I am also, secretly, a member of the executive committee of the organization of which Major Mauser speaks, and have been attempting, for some time, to get in touch with the Westworld Underground, if one existed. I had about come to the conclusion that no such group was in existence until today. Joe said, Relax, boys. Let down your hair. You've got a lot in common. It looks as though, at long last, the frigid fracas is beginning to fade away. The End of Frigid Fracas by Mac Reynolds This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dale Grothman